Welcome to podcast number 65 of My Favorite Detective Stories. Today's date is August 27, 2019, and I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Our guest this week is David Swinson. Swinson is a highly decorated member of the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police Department, having received numerous awards, including the department's prestigious Detective of the Year Award for 2003, Meritorious Service Medals for Significant, Outstanding, and Sustained Achievements, Achievement Medal of Honor for a Significant Case Investigation, and several Department of Justice United States Attorney Annual Law Enforcement Awards for Significant Case Investigation. David is also an acclaimed fiction writer and, among other books, has written about a fictional private detective, Frank Marr, who has become one of my favorite private eyes. A functioning drug addict with a lot of dysfunctional relationships, he is about likely to go for a fix as he is to find a suspect. In Trigger, reported to be the end of the Frank Marr trilogy, he takes a case that would lead to redemption or send him spiraling into oblivion. It is with great pleasure that I introduce David Swinson. My Favorite Detective Stories podcast features past or present detectives and investigative journalists. As a working investigator of over 42 years, I hope to inform, inspire, and entertain you with great stories. We want to learn from our guests how they got started in the field and why they decided to become investigators in the first place. Listen as they tell us about the early years and who were their mentors and why those mentors had such a huge impact on their careers. We'll explore what makes for a good investigator and what makes for good investigation. But most importantly, after you get to know our guests, we will ask them for their favorite detective story, or maybe two. Stay tuned. The interview is about to begin. Hi, David. Welcome to the show. Hi, John. Good to be here. So how's the weather down there in Washington, D.C., greater area? It's it's actually better than normal. It's in its 80s and not as humid as, as it has been. It's been in the 90s with a heat index of like 105. So it's a it's a lot nicer to be outside. I understand why our uh, House of Representatives and Senators take their vacation during August and get away from oh, yeah. the, uh, the heat. And the um, publishers in New York. <laughs> yes. So yeah, you're right. So uh, here in Connecticut today, it, it started out a nice, uh, cool morning. Uh, I met the sunrise down at the beach, uh, like I always do. And then as the day progressed, it got warmer and a little bit more humid, but it's still a nice day and I'm not going to complain. Mm. So uh, I, you know, I happened to see one of your books uh, on a bookseller's uh, table at the Crime uh, Thriller Fest. Uh, mm-hmm. 14 in New York City a couple months ago, and I reached I out there. to you. You were. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, at, I was only there on Saturday for a short period of time, so I don't, I might have accidentally stepped on your toes just before the, uh, the, uh, the drink fest that evening. But anyway, <laughs> um, uh, I was only there for a Saturday, but I thought, you know, here's a guy I want to talk to, and uh, you were so gracious to uh, make a time slot for me, and I appreciate that. Um, you wor- were a working police officer, and then you have written um, a nice uh, series involving a fictional private detective, and uh, you're working on some other things, and then uh, you're going to be back to New York City again in a couple weeks. So uh, that's my short synopsis of uh, us, but uh, you have to fill in the rest of the blanks for me. So tell me about how you decide how how you got to the part in your career where you decided to be a police officer and then tell me a little bit about your work there. 
Well, first of all, I've, I've since 17, I've always wanted two things. I've, I've wanted to be a writer, and I actually wrote my first book when I was 18. Got my first rejection when I was 19. Back then, you didn't need an agent, and I'm giving away my age. Mm-hmm. And um, the second thing, I always wanted to be in law enforcement, but my life got carried away. And um, I, it, at Cal State Long Beach, I um, pursued my degree in film, and then after that, fell into a wonderfully uh, volatile relationship with a, a girl who was into the alternative punk rock scene <laughs> in Long Beach. So my life took a, a segue, I mean, not a segue, but just an alternative course <laughs> mm-hmm. for, for years. And so I became a punk rock alternative music promoter, actually quite um, well. I mean, I had two of the most popular clubs in the LA Long Beach area um, with bands that from everyone to mainstream, you know, like Devo, you know, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers to some hardcore punk. Mm-hmm. And then finally fell into my film degree and did a little film called, cult film called Roadside Profits for New Line Cinema that starred John Cusack and Adam Horowitz from the Beastie Boys and a bunch of other really cult type people. And I got tired, you know, and um, in 1992, I thought this is not, a, and I always wanted a family, and I, I just wanted to be a, a have a pension, <laughs> you know, insurance, and you know all that kind of stuff. And I'm from Washington D.C. because my dad was Foreign Service, and so I applied. Um, I said I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do what I've always wanted to do, and maybe along the way get some really good experience to um, experiences that I can write about. And so um, I was accepted in 1993 to the Metropolitan Police Department in Washington D.C. And um, stayed then thinking I would be there for five years and it ended up being 17 years. How time flies when you're having fun. And they did say that. they um, A lot of the old timers looked me straight in the face and said, Swinson, it's going to go by fast. Slow down. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't count how many times I've been told that. And you are so right. Uh, uh, I don't know if you read Joseph Wombat or. Oh, yeah. Of oh, course. Yeah. And uh, in, in his most recent uh, series of books, uh, there was a uh, beloved uh, second shift uh, mid-watch sergeant uh, that they nicknamed the Oracle. And they said that, and the Oracle said that this is the most fun you'll ever have. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and my time on the police department, although short, many, many years ago, uh, I still think very fondly of those days. And I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you once you're too. a cop. Yeah. Once you're a cop. Um, and you're sworn in, you're, it doesn't matter really. I mean, as long as you become vested, you know, um, it, it, well, not even that. I mean, once you're sworn in, you're a part of the, the family. You're, you're just like the Marines say, you're not an ex Marine. You're a, a former Marine. You right. are still a Marine. I'm still a cop, you know? Um, it doesn't mean I'm going to go out and arrest somebody or pursue some investigation, right. but it's still, right. I'm a part of the family. And uh, although I have to admit, after 40-some years of not being on the street, I kind of missed the probable cause and the telltale signs of stuff that's going on. <laughs> oh, so yeah. It, but, it, it, you know, my, my, my spidey senses eroded over the years. So, but I, anyway. You, you know what? That is really actually incredible that you said spidey sense because um, mine is starting to. Yeah, um, sure. And, but, you know, I had a real spidey sense. And that's when, my, uh, when I met my wife. And we uh, decided to get married. We were living in D.C. together. And I was bumping into suspects and 
you know, all these types of people. And my spidey sense was going off all the time. We decided to move to uh, Virginia, just a few minutes outside of D.C. But that spidey sense is real. It's um, mm-hmm. it's, it's something that's ingrained in you um, uh, after being on the street. And it has nothing to do with profiling. It's it's uh, it is a spidey sense. <laughs> that's yeah. cool that you said that. Yeah, and, and and to your point, and to well, to, and to back up what I was saying is that you're right. It's not profiling, that is for sure. But when certain things click, you know, you have a certain way of seeing things, and you're actually mm-hmm. seeing reality as opposed. And I don't want to get into the matrix now, but you're really seeing you're seeing you're seeing reality for what it really is. And when you're tuned yeah. into that, you know, and you're seeing certain behaviors take place on the street or the way people are acting, you know, with their cars mm-hmm. and whatnot, you know. That there's something going on there. There's something hinky there. And yeah. that's the, the word I it's use, training. hinky. Right. And uh, through your experience and training, and I've heard that many a time from the witness stand, but it's the truth. And that's what that that's what becomes the basis of reasonable suspicion. And that's what then mm-hmm. falls into the area of probable cause. And then, you know, mm-hmm. it, it goes from there. So, but anyway, um, you got started in 93 on the job. And um, I'm sure in that the academy. The, in the academy. And then... Um, just kind of start filling me in on the rest of it. Well, I was, um, I got the district of my choice. Washington, D.C. is broken down then, and I, I believe even now, um, but in the 80s it wasn't. It broken down into seven districts, and I think a couple of substations. I always wanted the third district because that encompassed everything from DuPont Circle to 17th and Euclid to uh, Clifton, which was notorious back in the day, and mm-hmm. 14th and U. So you get the best and, and the worst. Um, and also because uh, my, my dad was foreign service and uh, I lived in the, my parents divorced, so I lived in the DuPont area. And so I knew the area. And so I was lucky enough um, to do my on-the-job training in the third district and then eventually get assigned there as, as a police officer. And um, as it happened, I, I became very good at, at catching burglars. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, I just got very good. I don't know what it is. I just got good at sensing them and, and, and catching them in the act and, and then passing them on to the detectives. And, um, and they'd close the case and all that. So and, they, all didn't, they all didn't look like Joe Pesci and, uh, and Daniel no, Stearns they, they were, in Home and Low. No, no. no, they were – we're not even talking race. They were like, – well, I mean, I don't believe any Italians, but, but they're, <laughs> no, they, they were all, all different races, white, you know, Hispanic, you know, African-American. But I know. Uh, yeah, no, I, I know you know. But, I mean, they were – I got good at that. So they put me in plain clothes and targeting crimes in progress. Those, mm. like you said earlier, were the best – times of my life because we would have rental cars and I believe I had a with my partner um, Juan I had a tinted out Jeep Cherokee <laughs> you know I mean we'd run we'd drive around drive around and you know I mean see things like you know like we'd, we'd be going like north on 11th street and, you know towards U street and see a group of juveniles like one take out a steak knife and stab the garbage can and say hey let's follow those guys you know mm-hmm. I, you know that makes sense and so i ended up becoming very good at you know catching burglars so um i was assigned to the third district detective's office and eventually became an investigator and um took the test and became a, a, a detective and, and started in burglary and i ended my career in Haida, which is uh, which was with the atf dea in its high-intensity drug trafficking area. And that has a lot to do, believe it or not, with that one burglar, um, where it would work up 
um, and, and you get the, you know, where the property is going. So it's, it's one of four places, you know, like a crack house or, you know, organized crime or the mom and pop or pawn shops. But we wanted the drugs. So it worked out where we'd end up getting, um, you know, kilos because of one little burglar you know? mm-hmm. and, 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 and closing hundreds of cases. And so that was a, a time I will never, ever forget. And I, I don't know. And I, I, that fell into play a lot with Frank Marr, too, because Frank is, you know, a private investigators have the equivalent of a, what we call general orders. You guys have your code that you have to follow. Right. Mm-hmm. Um Frank Marr does not follow any of that. <laughs> He's like well, really, really bad. So I think this is, uh, we've talked about your character off, off uh, air. So we just need a little bit of a um, bridge here from your policing world to your writer's world and who Frank Marr is. So if you don't mm-hmm. mind, just you know, give me that little bridge and then we can move on to talk about Frank. Well, I was um, very driven in the beginning by uh, police procedural. And I wrote a little book called The Detailed Man, which got published by a non-traditional publisher. Um, and it was very procedural. And I do love the book. And then after that, I, I you know, I had an agent and um, I wrote another police procedural that got rejected by everybody. But I always had in mind this character who, um, like Frank Marr, who was a cop forced into retirement quietly for, for certain reasons and um, broke all the rules. And... And, and I did not want to follow police procedure. I just mm-hmm. wanted to have fun, you sure. know, writing. Um, and I've never been a PI, so but I researched what being a PI is, and he's not. He does not follow that code. Um, but I decided to write the second girl, and um, it was a lot of fun, and and it, and it got a, a, a three book deal. And I think it's because I broke from, not from what I know. Um, which is police procedural because in, in the Mars series, it still has police procedural, but Frank breaks the rules. And I love to break the rules through him. I never broke the rules. Your alter ego, Frank Mars. Uh, yeah. Yes. Trust me. You know, I, I, <laughs> I did not do not or did not do drugs, you know, um, um, and I allowed him to. But the reason I knew so much about drugs, obviously, is because through the Department of Justice, part of, part of my job was um, that I was assigned an assistant U.S. attorney. And I said, everyone locked up in the district um, for burglary or even robbery, um, if they are willing to debrief through a defense attorney, I I want to talk to them. And so I ended up debriefing a lot of them, most of them crack and heroin, um, not cocaine. Um, And I learned a lot about, you know, the you know, how these people work. And I I know that cocaine is a type of drug that, you know, for instance, Hunter S. Thompson, who I knew back in the 80s, is a drug. The only reason they would have known Hunter S. Thompson was on cocaine was because he said he was. But other than that, it's a drug you can really, really hide uh, Mm -hmm. for for a certain amount of time. And so So, that's why uh, I put Frank on that. Hunter S. Thompson, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. (laughs) Fear and Loathing on the campaign trail. Oh, yeah. Yep. He was a... uh, he had been a uh, writer, I believe, on a military post, and then uh, did not know that. Yeah, and then came out uh, and started writing uh, in, in in a time when a very irrelevant, irrelevant, no, not irrelevant, irreverent Nixon. Yes, irreverent uh, <laughs> me- me- method, almost similar to some of the uh, smack in your face uh, writers that you see on uh, Rolling Stone. Well, he mm-hmm. wrote in Rolling Stone, so what the hell? Yes, I he should. did. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, anyway. He's yeah, a Hunter gonzo S- reporter. 
That's right. That's right. That's right. You got it. And that one of the first ones, I think he set the tone for that. Well, he coined it. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Um, but anyway, uh, back to uh, your world. You you took the uh, a lot of your debriefing from uh, your robbery and burglary suspects and started to see what the, the kind of uh, uh, drug activity they were involved in, but also how they were acting and reacting, what their lives were like, their psychological profile. And mm. you had this uh, not playing by the rules private detective by the name of Frank Marr, and it just seemed like, yeah. why not uh, give him these flaws? Yeah, so, exactly. But you know what I find, uh, what I like about reading about flawed uh, private detectives, and I'll say this you know, over and over and over again, is that sometimes their weaknesses, uh, serendipitous. Yeah. I know what the word I'm trying to say. Serendipitously. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's the word. They, they, Slowly. they become, yes, they become sometimes the person's, um, strengths. I think evident maybe in, uh, Sherlock Holmes, a Conan Doyle, mm -hmm. you know, that, uh, Sherlock had his issues, but those issues made him, uh, the way he became so observant and intuitive in, in the work that he did. So, um, mm -hmm. we go back to, you know, one of the earliest, uh, PI writers, but anyway, um, so, so Frank, uh, appears, uh, as your protagonist in the second girl and, that's the book that kind of was like a breakout for you. Is that a fair way of yeah. saying it? Yeah. Okay. And the thing about Frank was um, I wanted a few things. I I did not want a flawed character that was complaining and that was um, had a past that, uh, you know, a divorced wife and, you know, uh, he's got all, all, all these. He was fallen, but I didn't want him to complain about it. I wanted him to like his lifestyle. And I think it inadvertently you know i mean that was what became so popular with the second girl that uh, without trying to give myself accolades well, well which i am it was a new york times best crime fiction one of the best crime fiction books of 2016 i think a lot of that had to do with he was likable i mean you have this totally flawed character who you want to hate but you're rooting for him mm -hmm. you know and um i i think that was not even the trick because it had nothing to do with my uh ability to write it just was that i had it in my head don't complain because as a cop the worst thing you hated about other cops was when they complained you oh, know? Yeah. <laughs> and so i didn't want him to do that and uh, some and some made it into an art form yeah uh, <laughs> they could go the most of their career as complainers bitching bitching and complaining you know? oh yeah yeah, yeah. No, you didn't I want to write with them. <laughs> no, and certainly uh, it, it soured their outlook on the job, and uh, I'm, cer I'm certain I'm certain it shut down a lot of their uh, their skills uh, to the point where they just did what they had to do to get by. And, exactly. You know, hey, hey, but so uh, so you start out with Frank in the second girl, and I understand this became a trilogy. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So so what did Frank do for an encore after the second girl? A crime song. Um, which you can really actually read the way it was designed. I, and I did do this purposely where you can read each book as a standalone. Okay. Excuse me. Don't drink water while you're on the radio. Um, as a standalone. So you could actually read Crime Song first and then read The Second Girl. But it ended with Trigger, which was released, um, gosh darn, I think February of this year. And that ended the trilogy. So I, I know a lot of people that have started have started on 
trigger and then gone back to, to um, gone backwards. And a lot of people that started with second girl and gone forward. So, yeah. um, but it, it does. And the first book does end with a lot of what the, this, uh, the third book does end with the, what a lot of the first book starts with, which is interesting. And so that's why if you read the third book and the way it ends, if you read the first book, you'll go, Oh yeah. Okay. I get it. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it was, so it is a trilogy and I know cause you, you can't take a character like Frank Marr with his addictions and his, um, you can only take him so far without it becoming, well, you know, too much. Well, speaking of A. Conan Doyle, the writer of Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. he got tired of writing about Sherlock, and he said he wasn't going to write anymore. I think he actually killed him off in one of the last books. And, oh, no, <laughs> the hue and cry from the readers said, no, bring him back, bring him back. So, miraculously, uh, Sherlock Holmes made a, a return, and, and Doyle continued to write uh, one of the favorite, you know, private investigators of all time. So never, you're never going to say never about Frank. I mean, uh, come on. I mean, oh, no, he's going to come back, but he's not going to come back in first person, present tense. It, 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 oh. He's going to come back. He's going to come back in third person with a, with the way it ends in trigger with a partner. So, okay. um, yeah, but speaking of, uh, Sherlock Holmes, uh, there's this author who's a really good friend of mine, Joe Ide, I-D-E, I-D-E. who has been praised, you know, with his first book, IQ, and then um, I think Righteous. I don't. I don't. He's got his fourth book coming out, but he's taken a guy from East Side Long Beach and like a, close to South Central area, and he's made him a character who is like um, the contemporary Sherlock Holmes, and um, where where he thinks he doesn't have a weapon, he doesn't do it. But the the, the series is incredibly popular. I mean, I don't know if you know that, you know, like uh, Kabul uh, uh, Jabbar, Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Sure. Is uh, an incredible. Yeah. He's an incredible Sherlock Holmes fanatic. I mean, he's fanatic about Sherlock Holmes. Okay. And that he, he wrote a book, you know, about Sherlock. And um, he's like backed up the, the IQ series and all that. And um, so IQ basically um, is. Sherlock, I think of our our generation, and you, you might want to pick that, those books up. They're really what's great. What's the what's the, uh, what's the detective's name? Oh, it's a, he's sort of a um, his name is I um, IQ, which stands for um, I. It's one. It's a very awkward name That's that okay. I don't remember. But um, That's all right. It's the, but it's the, the IQ series. Yeah, and it's uh, Joe E Day I D E. Right. So if you're a fan of Sherlock Holmes, you want to pick up his books. All right. As I am, he was my first original read into the, into the genre. But uh, anyway, I, I, I look at uh, people like, or not people, fictional detectives like uh, Frank Marr and the stories that uh, the writers tell about these these uh, fictional characters. The investment into the development of the character, especially over the tril- over a trilogy, is has to be immense uh, or huge. It has to be immense. I mean, in terms of uh, how you go about doing this, because it, you can't uh, trot out the same tired tropes all the time. There has to be something yeah. that that makes your your guy special. So, what what, what would you say is Frank Marr's special sauce? Uh, I know. Again, I go back to likability. Um, okay, and you know, I'm not one of those authors who, which I don't. I mean, I, I wish I was. I mean, I, I cannot outline. 
but I take copious notes. I mean, I'll, I'll have a notebook by the bed. I'll have a notebook beside my desk. Um, I have my iPhone on me all the time. So if something comes to me, I'm taking notes. I mean, hundreds of pages, it would turn out of notes. And so I lived Frank Marr, you know, uh, or I lived Frank Marr. I still sort of am. But I think the one thing that always drew me to him was as unlikable as he should be. Um, there, there's something about him that is t- totally human and um, and likable and um, that, again, like I said, you you want to root for. So, and you know, and a uh, and a far difference from our uh, movie stereotypical private investigators and uh, who seem to be not totally human. <laughs> They're uh, yeah. you think. Uh, you think of uh, the way they uh, portrayed uh, Chandler's uh, Philip Marlowe or uh, Sam Spade, uh, you know, into into the mold of the tough guy, Henry uh, Humphrey Bogart. And, mm-hmm. you know, you think about those type of uh, characters and being very uh, driven and not showing a lot of their uh, frailties or human frailties. So to have something refreshing like uh, being totally human and likable in his disp- dis- <laughs> despicability, that sounds like a, a nice little mix for Frank, you know? So, oh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, but I would not compare him to uh, Chandler or, you know, or, uh, well, you know, anybody like that. But I mean, uh, I know. To their writing. But I mean, I, I know. I know. I'm not, I'm, I didn't say anything. I, I said <laughs> uh, what I was saying was the movie portrayal of. Oh, yeah. Chandler's yeah. writings. You know, you know what the movies can do to any good book, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, unfortunately, I believe uh, Lawrence Block actually did really approve of uh, Scudder um, with um, what? Uh, what's the actor's name? Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. He actually, I don't, I don't know Lawrence personally, so I didn't hear this directly from him. But in a lot of, uh, we're friends on Facebook. So, but I, from a lot of his um, um, messages. He 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 did approve of that character that it, sure. that it was um, pretty accurate to, now, to the book. We're we're talking a little bit about something that was off the air. Lawrence Block is a favorite writer of both of ours, uh, a, mm-hmm. a New Yorker. Uh, Lawrence Block has written uh, the Matthew Scudder series, which is probably my favorite series uh, of all time for me. He's a non-traditionalist. Yes. is that correct? Pub- oh yeah, publisher. Um, he's now, really gone his own way, yeah, and he's now. just uh, he's he's the he's the man. <laughs> if he could get his if he could get his backlist back, you know. But uh, anyway, uh, one of his two of his books actually were made in the movies. One of them was not very likable to him, but the second one, which I think we just talked we talked about mm-hmm. off air, which was uh, the book was turned, the tombstones, yeah. right? A walk, a walk amongst the two stones, and and that starred Liam Neeson, and they, they did a nice job uh, of following the book, and I it also so. and it also became a graphic novel uh, that uh, Lawrence commissioned with another fellow to do the, uh, the uh, illustrations for, and they did a wonderful job in a, in a, a graphic novel, sort of uh, not cartoon. I don't want to use the word cartoon, but a graphic novel, and mm-hmm. it came out very very nicely. Now. You did mention that uh, you're going to be coming to off air, that you were going to be coming to New York uh, in September. So tell me a little bit about that and tell me about the reason for your uh, uh, second visit now to uh, the Big Apple in a short period. Well, my, of time. I, my, I, I go, I, 
whenever I can take advantage of going to New York, I'll, I'll go. Um, on this occasion, it's because of a, a friend of mine, Casey Barrett, who's a former um, Olympic swimmer with Team Canada, uh, Emmy Award winner three times, uh, and a Peabody Award winner for his broadcasts on the Olympics, I believe. And I'm not going to even mention the dates, but I, I, in the 2000s. Um, and he, we originally met because he wrote a piece on me uh, for Crime Song in 2017 for The Village Voice. And he had told me that he was worked. Uh, he had a deal with Kensington, and he was working on his um, his series, which is a trilogy. Uh, Duck Darley is his character, and um, so his last book, uh, I think, is a trilogy. I don't want to say last book. Um, the Tower of Song is coming is already out, but the the launch party is at the Mysterious Bookshop in Tribeca, and um, he's asked me to to interview him. Um, and do the Q&A for that. And I think, you know, as far as talking about fallen PIs, this duck is a, a unlicensed PI who, again, like Frank, and I don't want to compare them at all. I know. Nothing to lie. I, know. I know. But, but um, his character, Darley, is, um, it's the same, same thing. He's unlicensed. He does not follow the rules, but you really like him. And he did such a beautiful job. Um, I'm halfway through the new book. Um, I've read his other ones. And so he's, he's, he's one of my, my favorite dudes right now. So, uh, so Casey's uh, newest book is what, what's called what? Uh, Tower of Songs, which is uh, based, uh, I hope, I, I don't want to speak for Casey, but I know that that's a Leonard Cohen song. Uh, Tower of Psalms or songs? I, I believe, so, you know, song maybe. But um, Le- Leonard Cohen did a uh, a song called "The Tower of Song." And, um, okay, I'm, so it's the I'm thinking it's that's the duck, what happened. It's the Duck Darley trilogy, Se- and the, yeah, and the author series, is, yeah. series, uh, series, and the author is uh, Casey Barrett. Um, yeah, and Ken's, Kensington. So uh, I'm going to be there. I, I promised you I would. I put it oh, in my sweet. calendar. Yeah, so, cool. yeah, September 12th at the Mysterious Bookshop down in Tribeca. I know how to take the train out of New York. I know how to take the subway. And <laughs> I, know, I know how to be there at uh, 6 o'clock. And uh, I'll come and heckle. You know? And I know how disastrous that and unpleasant that can be. Yeah. Now, let me tell you. Um, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. New York subways in, this, in the summer, they have gotten better. They used to be cattle cars, but they have gotten better. Uh, but, you know, uh, the Mysterious Bookshop uh, and the owner is Otto, Otto, Penzler. O-T-T-O, Penzler. And he is a uh, an icon in uh, in our business and just somebody yeah. that, you know, just gives and gives and gives. And I think that uh, I had a chance to meet him, you know, at a couple book signings before. I, I met him at Thriller Fest. Uh, the panel that he was on with a few other people, and uh, I really enjoyed, you know, talking with him. And uh, I'll, I'll I'll enjoy being down there on the twelfth. Give me, a, a yeah, he's to- he's a, he's an icon in the um, the mystery uh, suspense genre. He's Absolutely, an icon. So, uh, what's next for you? Yeah, I think you mentioned off air that uh, there's a book deal. Well, uh, Little Brown Mulholland, uh, based on the third book, Trigger. Um, offered me another three book deal. Um, but, um, I don't want to say aloud. I mean, because, you know, they, it's, uh, you know, I can refuse or say, you know, no, but, um, I'm doing the, the, the next book is a standalone that has nothing to do with, um, it, it has to do with, um, it's loosely based on my experiences growing up in Beirut 
but I totally fictionalized it and made it into a mystery um, with wow, a twelve-year-old wow. kid. Um, during that's neat. Uh, yeah, during the time of um, you know Hezbollah, the Mossad, and you know, and, and the eva- we were evacuated in 1975. So it's during that time of curfews, you know, from my, the American Community School, and it becomes this little mystery. So I'm doing that, and then I'm going to go back to um, um, probably if you read. Trigger. It's going to go back to uh, Mar and Calvin, but not in first person. Not uh, it will not okay. be a Mars yeah. Mars series because Mars series is done. No, I, so I got I, a three I, book deal. Yeah, so I'm I'm having a lot of fun actually, you know, digging into and trying to remember my past as a twelve year old kid, and I'm not going to so, give up my age. So it's a his, <laughs> would I, would I be able to call it um, a uh, historical nonfiction? No, no, it's no, it's it's. Loosely based on all the characters are fictional. Okay. And, but it's based on what I remember at the time, which may not be totally accurate, but we, we lived at the building called the Gowie building, which was right above the Corniche. And behind our building was uh, the hill, and we called it Stinky Steps, where the Mossad uh, ran up and uh, assassinated a lot of uh, Pakistanis um, it, it, because of the, um, the Olympics. Hmm. Um, oh, a payback. Yeah. And, yeah. But then it's not really about that. It's just all that is a backdrop. And then sure. in, in 74, sure. 75, when the Civil War started, you have all that as a backdrop. That's not what it's about. It's about the, the kid and this mystery, this 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 murder that he witnesses, That's which is not fantastic. Real. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just happy that they're allowing me to do that. And, um, and you know, and, and for you, uh, it sounds like you write what you want. Not, I don't want to say it the wrong way. Not what I want. I, I write based on my experience. Right. Not, not necessarily what I want. Because if I write what I want, you know, um, I wouldn't have so many rejections. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and uh, I, 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 I often uh, I often threaten my family to say that uh, uh, the next book I'm going to write is a steamy romance, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is very popular, by the way. I <laughs> know uh, I'm in the wrong genre, but anyway, no, actually, uh, mis- mystery of uh, steamy romance is uh, uh, very popular. <laughs> all right, well, uh, in, in any event, I, I kid with my family about that, but uh, but what I, I guess what I was trying to say is that. You know, you have all these ideas and all these experiences. You're writing from experience. You're writing from, and, and you're taking your experiences and you're saying, "What ifs? What if this? What if that?" And you're putting a little twist mm-hmm. on it, and then you, then before you know it, you've got the germ of an idea, and then a storyline uh, comes from that, and then from that comes the uh, the, the beginning, the middle, of the end, or maybe some mm-hmm. loose loose idea about that. And then you get supercharged, and then you run with it. And there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. Nothing wrong with that. I my first uh, novel was a general literary. My second was a uh, creative nonfiction. Uh, my third was a crime thriller with a mystery twist. Oh, I I wrote three um, non uh, how to nonfictions in the middle, and now I'm doing a police police procedural. Um, a detective novel involving, you know, a main character. And 
it wasn't like by design, you know, it was, no, this is what I want to write about. This is what gets me up yeah. in the morning. This, what's, yeah. this is what I want to, to explore. I want to, I want to go into these different areas. I want to try yeah. and try these different ideas. And, you know, I wasn't bragging what I just, when I went through that litany, I just was thinking about all the different places I am and, and the, the, the wise words from traditional publishers and other people are, you know, really work in your genre. And it's like, eh, life is too short. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's what I'm experiencing. Uh, not, I mean, I'm trying to keep this next book um, in the genre and that it's still a mystery. Right. But, and I'm not comparing it at all, at all to, um, and I do have a stutter. I, I mentioned that to you. Before, so yeah, yeah. That's why I, I, um, I'm not comparing anything to my favorite book in the world, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. I will no way ever write a To Kill, to Kill a Mockingbird. But the thing about genre, and at that time when Harper Lee wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, what was that? It was considered literary. But really, what would it be considered now? It would be considered uh, court drama, suspense, thriller, mystery. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and in and, and, and the Amazon-like list of categories, it would fall under almost every category there is, you know. Um, and so I, I think you don't have to... But the, what I love about crime fiction is that um, it, it, it can fall into so many categories. And it, it can be literary, yeah. you know? Um, well, that's true. I mean, yeah. uh, I would, I would uh, at the time, uh, Chandler was writing back in the, in the late 20s, early 30s after Dashiell Hammett. Uh, he was writing for the Pulps. But uh, yeah. that was selling. And quite frankly, you put him up against some of the hoity-toity uh, writers of the day, and his prose could... Uh, kill you know, kill could, him. They'd, they'd knock yeah, him out. Exactly. You know, he, was liter he was literary. I mean, right. you know, without, without a doubt. Um, and I don't think he was considered... Uh, tell me otherwise. I mean, I don't think he was considered crime... I don't think there was such a category back then as crime fiction. I think we created that... M much later, um, I think he was just, um, gosh, I, it, it was like To Kill a Mockingbird or, or just sure. great, great books. Yeah. Um, but there were I mean, mystery I mean, genre. I mean, I mean, like Conan, uh, Sir Conan, um, Doyle, Arthur Conan Doyle. Doyle. <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, those books fell into a genre, adventure, right. mystery. So that did exist, you know. But I think in crime fiction, you could find just a, a lot of the authors really got into it and are still getting into it now. And this is based on my research and stuff because I'm really into it is, is because in crime fiction, you can really get into all, you know, the whole of humanity, you know? And, sure. Um, yeah. And uh, tell a good story with some interesting characters and, yeah, uh, and hopefully write it well. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. And, and, you know, when you, when you talked about your, you know, your best book and, and, and listen, you know, I read the classics. When I say the classics, I'm not talking about the Iliad and the Odyssey. I'm talking about Hammett, Chandler, and Ross McDonald. Mm -hmm. uh, that that's my classics. And George, and when I, what about George V. Higgins? Can't forget. Well, that. I can't, but I, I I only have a limited amount of him, thanks to Otto Otto Penzler. I only have a little bit of mm -hmm. Higgins. But you know, um, I can only hope in the morning to get up and write the best damn book I can. And as long yeah. as I'm true, as long as I'm true to my voice. Uh, and I, I can twist a phrase and I feel good about it. 
uh, that to me is is uh, is worth the while. And as long as I keep trying to trying to write, or I set my intention to write the best damn book I can, then I'm okay. And uh, yeah, I think you hit it on the nail. It's it's um, I think the hardest thing for me with the new book was um, getting out of Frank Marr in first person present tense, mm-hmm. where I didn't outline. I I really was just as excited about what was going to happen as. Well, not as in Frank, because he didn't know. I mean, I didn't know right. what was going to happen. But what's happened? What happened to me after that was finding my voice, and I went through, you know, re-editing and editing, which they say you never do, but I did. Right. Going back to that first page over and over and over and over again because the voice was not right. Um, right. The, the, the it just didn't fit. And finally, I, I, I found the voice. Um, but I think you're right too. I mean, a lot of my my favorites are 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 the classics. I mean, like um, G.K. Chesterton, C.S. Lewis, um, um, George V. Higgins. You know, Hammett, um, uh, Graham Greene. I mean, uh, that's Charles Dickens. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> that's uh, it, and actually, my go-to book is always *To Kill a Mockingbird*. When I need inspiration, I've read it fifteen something times, and so it seems like it's your true north in terms of. Uh, yeah, and because I aspire, yeah, but I, I'll, I'll never, and I honestly believe that I'll never achieve that. But it is my true inspiration. The, mm. How those words were put together and, and those phrases, those just—I mean, the story. I mean, right. And, and I don't care if I'm writing the darkest noir. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I'll find that in *To Kill a Mockingbird*. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm so happy that we had the chance to chat today, both before and after we turned on the recorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that uh, I found your book uh, out of hundreds of books at the, yeah, thank you. I'm at glad the bookseller. Too. I said, yeah, I want to talk to this guy. I want to talk to this guy. This guy's got something <laughs> to say. And uh, I called you up blind and uh, mm-hmm. you were very gracious to say you wanted to talk to me, and I appreciate that. Well, it also helped, I think, that I, I emailed you, I think, from the conference and said, yeah, I'm, I'm here too. It's like, oh, wow. But yeah, uh, you're incredible. Wanted, you were incredible. You were you were real. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to uh, say thank you for coming on. I appreciate that, you know, you took the time to talk about your earlier uh, career before policing, that you talked about your policing career, how, how much fun you had while you were doing it. Uh, the writing of Frank Marr and, and the way you developed him and the way you've written other things. And now you're you're moving along with a uh, new book and you've got a deal going. So And you're going to be um, helping Casey in a couple of weeks up in uh, New York City or down in New York City for me, up in New York City for you. Yeah, uh, it's up. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it. And you got to, you got to tell all my listeners now, how can people get in touch with you so that they can find out more about your books and uh, about what's on your event calendar? So if you have a few minutes, you want to just tell us that? Yeah, well, I do answer all my emails personally. I mean, I'm not, you know, I mean, a lot of authors obviously do. But um, if you go to David Swinson, S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com and go to contact, you know, um, and email me, I, I, I do personally answer all that and i try to i have someone that actually does my website for me not answers my my emails but i try to keep everything up to date like for instance uh, we're both going to bauschikon in dallas and i'll I'll be there too in 2019 um i'm going to be doing a few library events and um and some other things prior prior to that 
Um, but that's the best way to get in touch with me is through davidswinson.com. Okay. And also on, on, uh, on, on Twitter. And you can also find me on Facebook. Um, I mean, I always communicate with people on Facebook and Twitter. That's nice. Works good. And, uh, and if, uh, my listeners have an opportunity to ask you a question, just let them, you know, just say hello on my behalf. So I appreciate it. Oh, I will. Most definitely. David, it was wonderful having you on. I certainly appreciate the time you took with me today. I look forward to the opportunity to see you in a couple weeks down in yeah, New York City. Yeah, that'll be great. And, uh, and have a drink. And, well, that's true. And uh, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, also, uh, we'll also be able to hang in uh, Bowser Khan. And, uh, mm-hmm. and you, know, you can tell me more about Renee Denefield and uh, Michael Cordia. And I'll try to get and, them on the podcast, too. So Yeah, excellent. All right. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was great having you on board here. Likewise. Thank you for listening. I hope I've earned your interest and your time. Please leave any comments on the website, www.johnhoda.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Our guest next week is Harvey Morse. Harvey E. Morse began his investigative career in Massachusetts, after graduating Boston University and then attending Suffolk University Law School. In approximately 1975, he moved to Florida and commenced operations as president of Locators International, Inc., which has been actively engaged in traditional investigations since it was founded. He is the founder of the Florida Association of Private Investigators, Incorporated, a multi-state certified firearms training instructor for concealed carry, and continues to serve on many civic, charitable, law enforcement, and private investigative organizations. He has over 50 years of investigative experience. Harvey also graduated the first full police academy, first in his class of 82 candidates and is a sworn law enforcement officer, having been an assistant chief and currently serves as a police investigator. This episode is brought to you by my own crime thriller with a mystery twist, Odessa on the Delaware. A Russian gang enforcer is on a murderous rampage to take over the entire Philadelphia mob scene. A homeless vet doesn't know that he has the proof or that he's next on the list. The stakes are high for this deadly cat and mouse game set on the bleak Philly waterfront of years gone by. FBI agent Marsha O'Shea, a gunslinger from the Miami cartel days, is back in her hometown, quietly finishing out her career, but now is drawn into this case with a secret pushing her doggedly to follow the clues, only to uncover a greater secret that may get her killed in the final showdown. You can buy Odessa from your favorite online retailer. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear other great detective stories, please go to johnhoda.com and click on the podcast page. There you will find the backlist. Now, you're probably asking, John, what about your own stories? Do you have any? Sure enough, I do. And they're available for you free with your email subscription to the podcast as a download right to your inbox. I have eight short stories and eight vignettes from my book titled Mugshots, My Favorite Detective Stories. Now, here is my ask. If you were informed, inspired, and entertained, by the stories today. Don't be bashful. Please take a moment to share this podcast with your friends, then leave a review on your favorite podcatcher. If you'd like to leave a comment, you can do so on the website at www.johnhoda.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Thank you so much and have a great day.